The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're so lucky to have coming to us from all the way across the pond, all the way from over there in Wales, we have Helen Arnold Richardson, who is one of the real champions of neurodiversity. Where do you hear everything she's doing? Helen, welcome to Different Brains. Thank you, Aki. It's great to be part of it. Well, I love your accent. You know, you can say anything you want. It comes out sounding really good. I love that. And vice versa. And vice versa. Well, mine's a Jersey City accent. We're, we're a little different. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself properly and tell us all the great stuff you're doing with neurodiversity? Oh, so um, as you said, rightly with the introduction, I'm Helen Arnold Richardson, and I'm the managing director of Do It Solutions. And we provide uh, a screening tool for neurodiverse traits to be able to provide support and uh, guidance to individuals on looking at managing their challenges, identifying their strengths, but then also for people working with them. So we work across varying sectors. Uh, my particular sector that I'm interested in is, is the criminal justice sector. So we do work with employers, uh, schools, universities, and we've got some, some customers over in, uh, in the States as well, which is great. Um, and we, um, as I said, we work in schools, apprenticeship providers, um, but the big one is employers and, and prisons and probation. Well, you know, you've always been champion of the underdog, which I love about you. Tell us how specifically you got involved with the criminal justice system. Uh, sure. So a bit of a, a potted history about me is that um, I, I embarked on my career of teaching, uh, teaching law. And I was teaching law to, uh, to, to people who want to be solicitors, to be lawyers, and I really wanted a challenge. So a job come up in a, a young offenders institution, which was for young men who were 22, 18 to 22 years old, serving four years to life. So they had committed pretty heinous uh, offenses to be in there. Um, and it was there that I saw the complexities of the, the young people that I was working with. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing what they've done, but I could see the sort of complex lives that they, um, that they had lived. And it was there that I come across the, the whole concept of, of neurodiversity and the difficulties that, that these young people were, um, were facing. Following on from that, I then went into the adult estate. So I was uh, an area manager managing in prisons for 18 plus. Um, and then I ended up managing 13 prisons, the education in 13 prisons. And that's where I come across the Do It Profiler because I was looking for something that would be able to support the people in custody um, and also to be able to upskill my staff at the time as well, because we can't all be specialists. But at the time, it was learning difficulties and disabilities. That was the terminology that was used, which is quite a deficit model, as you know, Haki. 
Um, so it's great to see um, the, the changes that are going on in the criminal justice system over here in the UK, where there is a, a big focus now on neurodiversity and neurodivergent traits and looking at the strengths of individuals, not just the challenges that they have. And I think with what I'm seeing and, and what I saw on, on, the, on the chalk face, as well as what I'm seeing now from a data point of view, is the people in prison are, as I said, very complex. But what we're seeing is that uh, in a data set, we've just done some uh, uh, working with prisons, uh, looking at the data from the profiler of, of people in prison. And what we're seeing is that out of a data set of 11,000 people, one in four had been in foster care which is a very high percentage of people who have been passed around the system, haven't received the support that they required to be able to support their, their neurodiverse challenges. Um, what we've also seen from that data set is that four out of five have been excluded. So this is really showing why we need to provide a whole person approach to supporting these people. Um, being able to identify, as I said, their strengths and their challenges and supporting their challenges and empowering them because so many of them have been missed or misdiagnosed for loads and loads of different reasons. Loads of reasons. Give us some numbers if you could. When we talk, for instance, I interviewed William Packard yeah. who uh, wrote on neurodiversity in the prison system and justice system. Give us some numbers from your point of view over there like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about one in three, Hacky. That's what our data is showing, one in three, which is, is it, it blows your mind. It blows your mind. And, and the other, the other um, thing that we're, we're sort of noticing is that there's this misconception that people coming into prison or on probation or youth justice we work as well is that people will come with a diagnosis, and they don't. They do not come with a diagnosis. And there's this, this sort of middle group of people who keep on being missed. They're going through the system and they're being missed constantly. As I said, they could have been in foster care, so move from place to place, not accessing services. We're seeing high levels of homelessness. I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, there's high levels of homelessness. So they won't get a referral because they haven't got a, a GP. Um, another thing that we're seeing, we've just published a paper with a colleague of mine, Professor Amanda Kirby, has just, just published a paper with some other colleagues, uh, looking at the differences in, in prison between male and female offenders, because obviously female offenders exhibit symptoms very differently to that of male offenders. And there's a lot of research going on in, in that area, um, because as I said, they're not coming with a diagnosis, they're not being screened, they need to not be identified, so they're being left. Um, so as you said, I'm championing uh, the, the fact of, of these people to say, look, we need to be able to screen them, to provide support, but also to be able to identify their strengths. And that's the bit I think that's missing, Haki. Um, it's not focusing on the, the challenges, providing support for the challenges, but really saying, look at what you're good at, because most of them have never even been told what they're good at. They just think that- Which is a natural segue to, to try to give them the tools for those that are gonna get paroled and those that are gonna get released. We're setting them up for failure because we're not tuning in on their different brain to help to give them the tools they Correct. need to survive. They've never been given those tools. And I think that's, that's part of the missing link 
of the, the complex lives that they've lived is that if they were given the tools, could things have been different? We don't know. We don't know. Well, but we, we don't know, but what we do know is, this is a little bit, I'll throw in a little plug for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Broward County here in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And if you go, for instance, to the Hackey Reitman Club, uh, ask them to raise their hand if you have two parents at home. Nobody raises their hand. And even one parent only about half of them, like you say, foster parents, everything else. But if we intervene early to give them the coaching, we have a 90% high school graduation rate, for instance, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, the problem with large organizations in general, I think, which may include the prison system is, uh, or maybe not, is they kind of don't want to damage their brand by giving numbers to those of us with different brains, you mm-hmm. know. How many are autistic? How many have dyslexia? Uh, how many have ADHD? And we compare it to the general population and the numbers are skewed much higher. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there as well in the fact of what we're seeing from the research is the high levels of co-occurrence as well. So even though I'm saying a lot of them are not diagnosed, if somebody does come with a diagnosis, the probability is they're going to have traits associated with other conditions as well. So they could have ADHD traits, they could have uh, dyspraxic DCD traits. So, you know, it's it's not, it's taking away from the siloed approach and doing a whole person approach and looking at other factors that could be um, responsible for their challenges as well. Sure, because none of these things occur in isolation. You can't have autism without some degree of anxiety, a little bit of depression, and so on and so forth, you know? And so I think that's, that's, sorry to cut you, Haki, but I think that's why we really need to move away from this siloed approach, from this tick box approach, and you either have it or you don't have it. Let's focus on the person in the context of their lives to look at what we can do to support them to be able to achieve their goals going forward. Yes, and which is why um, I think we have to start focusing. This is a discussion I had with Tim Goldstein, who you can look up at timgoldstein.com. I love his term, uh, neurodistinct. And we were discussing the need for um, neurodistinct traits attacking them rather than, quote, diagnoses, okay? And that's one reason I started Different Brains when we we started it, was to get everything under one roof, because as you said so eloquently, they're in different silos. And it's all the same stuff, the same tools that you're doing for those prisoners will help all of us, which is a segue into um, the, uh, the profiler and the other actual tools. Tell us about the actual tools you're using. Yeah, sure. So the profiler was developed by, as I said, my colleague, Professor Amanda Kirby, many, many years ago. And it's been tried and tested for over a decade uh, with thousands and thousands of data sets. And the tool itself, as I said, is not a diagnostic. It doesn't say you have it or you don't have it. What it does is provides uh, um, modules that the person does. Uh, with accessibility features built in. So again, they haven't got to ask for a colored overlay or they haven't got to ask for a question to be repeated. All the questions and answers are voiced. And for those with receptive language disorders, they could listen to the questions over and over and over again, which is what you wouldn't get on a one-to-one conversation. 
um, short modules for those with attention difficulties and they complete it. And the most important thing for us is that they get something at the end of it. So the report shows the strengths that they've got in those areas. But then where challenges are identified, then there's practical strategies that they can use, whether it's in prison or whether it's in employment. And then there's strategies then for the people working with them on the same, on a different report um, with, about being inclusive, because I think that's what's key. It's, it's being inclusive for everybody and using these little strategies. And, and it's only small things, Haki, that you know people may not know about, but those small changes can make a massive difference to individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. Small steps, big journeys. Definitely, um, definitely. How do people who are watching this right now, how do they learn more about all of these tools and stuff? Absolutely. So if people can either email me directly um, at helen at doitprofiler.com or go on our website, which is www.doitprofiler.com. And there's a vast amount of information on there. We also on LinkedIn. So, you know, you can check me out on there. Um, and we also provide lots of resources and information for um, people who want to read up more on neurodiverse conditions and how to manage them. And again, pulling out the strengths of individuals and having those conversations. How has the cooperation been from the powers that be with what you're trying to accomplish in the prison system in Wales? So in Wales, it's been very, very good because that's where it all started. Um, so we work in the majority of uh, the, the prisons in Wales um, because they can see, they can see it's not just about the education and it being delivered in the education part of the prison. They see it as a whole prison approach. So the information goes on to the wings, into the units. Uh, the information goes down to healthcare for referrals, for full assessments. Um, and it's also um, been, been impacting on safer custody because, as you said earlier, Haki, the link between neurodiversity and mental health is, is, is a, 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 a big one. And um, what we're seeing is that um, the impact of identifying the, these traits on things like risk of suicide um, and self-harming as well. So being able to sort of manage these conditions and supporting these individuals um, obviously decreases the, the risk of um, the, the sort of self-harm and, and, and risk of suicide as well. So we've been really lucky in, in Wales with that and um, working with, as you said, the powers that be in relation to that. We're also in the Scottish prisons as well. So we're in 17 public sector prisons in Scotland. And again, a very strong relationship where they get it, Haki. They understand, you know, the need to be able to identify uh, the support needs of, of everybody and the strengths of everybody that's in the, the prison population. I'll tell you, our, our differentbrains.org uh, uh, people, uh, particularly our wonderful uh, neurodivergent uh, trainees and interns, we've started a research pillar and we're doing a couple of papers, uh, one on the effect of the coronavirus times on autism and then another one on those with ADHD. What would be very interesting to me would be whether or not the um, COVID-19 or coronavirus time, times have had any effect at all on the prison population because 
maybe their life doesn't change a whole lot. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's quite interesting you saying that because it has. It has impacted on them um, because from my, and this is my understanding from, from anecdotal conversations that I've had with, with people who work, still work in the prison service is that prisoners are, have been locked up a lot longer because they haven't been able to move to education. They haven't been able to move around the prison as a result of. And I know that, you know, the prison service have been doing their best to be able to accommodate the needs in this current time. Yeah, because now, in essence, they're each in solitary, unless they get some technology in there with virtual learning and communication and Zoom meetings, it's uh, not going to happen. That would be an interesting thing. It would. Um, now, I'd, I'd like to bring up another point that was uh, um, William Packard was very uh, sophisticated in presenting when I interviewed him quite a while ago. Um, the surprising thing to me was not so much the high incidence of neurodiversity in the prisoner population, but in the people who worked in prisons also, the guards and everyone else. Uh, have you studied that as well? Absolutely. So we haven't done a study with it, but we work very closely with uh, the trade union for the prison officers. And they use our tool from an employment point of view, um, because, as you said, there are quite high needs within the prison staff um, who work in the prisons as well. So I think, again, that's where it comes to inclusive practice for all, not just the prisoners, but the officers who are working in there as well. And that goes across all employment places, you know. And society in general. Absolutely. You know? I think Inclusive, welcoming atmosphere. Definitely. Be upfront about what your neurodiversity, what your mental health issues, what your different brain is doing, and try to, as you say, focus on the positives and... Uh, and support challenges. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What is the biggest thing um, that uh, the general public might not understand about what you're doing? That's a really good question. I think it's understanding what neurodiversity is. Because if people understand, I think there's a big education piece on it, Haki, which is why I love what you're doing at differentbrains.org, because I don't, there's an education piece because people don't understand what neurodiversity is. So I think what we're seeing, especially with employers at the moment, is that we're doing a lot of training, especially with COVID on at the moment. We're doing a lot of training, saying what neurodiversity is, giving strategies about how you can improve inclusive practice. And then that then moves them on to looking at the profiler, looking at how they could use that to be able to support their staff or their you know, participants or their learners. Um, to really allow them to achieve their outcomes. So I think, you know, a, lo a lot of work has still got to be done to, to get people to understand what it is and the importance of it as well, Haki. Have you been able to um, measure some of the impact and effect that these programs have had yet? From an anecdotal point of view, yes, because for us, the impact and the outcomes is on an individual by individual basis. But from anecdotally, we've done focus groups from peer mentors within the prisons who have said about how the profiler has helped the, the 
with the men in the prisons. We've also had it from um, a lot of the staff who are using the profiler across justice system and saying about how it provides them with a baseline to know how to work and support these individuals who, um, again, have the strengths and challenges that can be uh, equated to neurodiversity. Whereas previously, there was nothing in place. They didn't know about neurodiversity. They would only support those who came with a diagnosis. Coming back to what I was saying about those group in the middle who are constantly being missed. So we are seeing a very positive impact with those companies that are using us to um, for, for them as an organization, but then also for the people that they're working with to be able to achieve their aspirations and goals and get the best performance out of people as well. Can you speak about some of the other leadership in your organizations? Other leaders in my company. So I work with Professor Amanda Kirby, who uh, is a colleague of mine. She's, as I said, the founder and CEO. And she's very, very passionate about neurodiversity, hence creating a profiler in, in the first instance. She's published over 100 papers. She's written several books and she's writing a book at, at the moment, which uh, I've been very pleased to put a paragraph in as well. So um, she's, she was the one who created the, the um, DCD, Diagnostic for Adults as well so she did that as part of her phd nice. do you get any pushback from society over there that uh, why don't you help us why are you helping the prison population why are you rewarding them do you get any of that no i don't get any of that but what what that's quite an interesting question actually the pushback that we've had in relation to profiler is why would we want to use it to identify people? Because if we identify people, then we've got to do something about it. And that is something that, that really gets my back up because they're not looking at the fact that people are there that need support. And even if you don't identify them, they are still there and require support. So whether it's a funding issue or um, they just don't want to know, I'm not sure. But it's, it's quite an interesting comment to make. Interesting. Mm. So do it solutions and do it profiler. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, where are you um, geographically? Like what areas are you in now and what areas are you contemplating going into? So we're currently used across the UK. Uh, as I said previously, we've got some customers in the USA. I'm looking to explore further in the USA, which would be brilliant, whether that's with universities building on the, the customers that we already have. Um, but to be able to have a discussion with somebody in, in the correctional services would be amazing and probation as well. Well, especially with the privatization that's gone on here and especially to take advantage of coronavirus times where everything's virtual. Everything. Exactly, exactly. Um, but we are having conversations with uh, colleagues in, in New Zealand and Australia as well. Well, Helen Arnold Richardson, it's been such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for being here. You're more than welcome, Haki. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.